The greatest thing from Quebec since Celine Dion and GSP. A pair of siblings. A couple of stellar young men. Two brothers. These two young men. Two siblings. The hard-hitting pair represent Canada. Welcome to Thinking Bros. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. Or your favorite corner store philosophers trying to figure out life one conundrum at a time. And uh, today, I, I just realized that real eyes, real eyes, real lies wasn't just the same word three times in a row. No. So I'm, I'm still no so I'm still a little bit recovering from that. So I might, you know, be shell-shocked, as some might say. But today we're going to be discussing Heidi Grant Halverson's Succeed. I came prepared this time in the main segment. And in the opening segment, we're going to be discussing a short story by the name of Harrison Bergeron. Now... When I found the website with a PDF of it, I don't know if you clicked on the same thing as me because I sent you like a pure text format kind of thing. Sure, yeah. And then if you want to get the PDF, because I wanted to print it, I didn't, but whatever. In the same document, when you do click on the PDF, there are multiplication tables with an assignment. So I think it was from the website of a homework of like sixth grader or something like that. So basically it's a, it's a story assigned to a sixth grader. And I think I read it... When I was 18 at school. Mm. So anyway, I think it's a story they assigned to children, but you want to you wanna give them the rundown as you so masterfully do? Sure. From, uh, from what I remember, I don't know if I'm going to miss important details, but this is a world in 20, what, 81? What was something, it? something like that, 84? Something like that, where everyone is equal, but not everyone is equal in the eyes of the law or God in the sense that everyone has equal rights. Everyone is equal as enforced by the government. So everyone has equal abilities, equal intelligence. Um, <clears throat> it's a satirical version of, hey, guys, let's try for equality. A utopian dystopian. Equality of, a, a dis well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess for but sure like, a dystopia forever. I, I get why you're saying utopia in the sense that, like, yeah, if, if you were solely focused on equality, you might think this is a utopia, but then it reveals itself to be a dystopia, something like that. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. It's those, peop those people's utopia, which is definitely a dystopia. But it's not subtle in the way that I said it. Like, okay. it's not subtle at all. Um, well, and the way everyone is made equal is by giving handicaps to the people that are above average, because no one can be above average. And so if you're strong, we tie something around your neck and put weights on you so that you're slower and um, held back and not above everyone else. So you know someone is naturally able, like the bigger their handicap sack is, that's how you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a scene describing ballerinas and the, well, all, all the, sen well, it's so funny. We're going to talk funny, about it, funny. but the way it's described is they were dancing well. well. Not well, like better than anyone else, just as well as anyone would. <laughs> and, and then they identify like one ballerina that you know is probably very beautiful and is probably very strong because she has a very ugly mask on her face, which is how they're made all equal. If, someone, if you're beautiful, you're, you put a mask on that's ugly. And she was, way, uh, she was carrying the, the handicaps around her neck that a 300-pound man usually would. So... Uh, yeah, and if you were too smart, the way they would solve that is that periodically, about every five to ten seconds, you get 
uh, a random or maybe not random noise in your in your ear that just disrupts your thoughts completely and it's it seems painful uh every time yeah oh, yeah sure i, I wanted story, an overview yeah, of the story itself yeah well the the story is short it focuses on one couple let's that's say. why it's a short story okay It's cool how I that apologize. works. Right? Keep it's going. cool how that works. Yeah. I, I've already learned two things today, so that's awesome. I don't remember the name of the parents, but the couple we're focusing on were in their living room. Uh, they're looking at a TV, and we're seeing how their interactions go. The, the mother doesn't have any handicap, I think. So I think she's, uh, well... Naturally average. Yeah, naturally average. And uh, the, the father was quite a bit smarter than, than the average, and so he has a handicap in in his ear that keeps playing a noise and he seems to have some recurring thoughts that pop up but as soon as he has them he hears a noise and and everything gets disrupted and um at the beginning of the story we hear that their son harrison bergeron which is the name of the story was taken away by the government i don't remember the specifics of why they said at the beginning he was taken away i think he was just a, of an incredible natural ability and it was time to like put the handicaps on Okay, he was basically in prison. Oh, it was time to put the handicaps on? I think he, he, he must have had them before. Mm. It may be. It doesn't matter. Really maybe does. maybe disrupting the, the rule of the government or they had suspicion that he was planning to... And he got taken no, no, away. no. He was, uh, he was outgrowing his handicaps too fast. Too fast. He was 15 and every year he, they had to like put you know 20 more pounds on him and like he was, uh, he was seven foot tall right yeah yeah it's, uh, we'll get to that but yeah yeah and well their son got taken away and what you might expect is grieving parents but they they both seem to forget well yeah i i guess i guess the mother must couldn't have been average in our sense of the word because average in our sense of the word is 100 iq and 100 iq people remember when their son were taken away but she can't no she can't possibly be average because if you, everyone wants to be equal you take the lowest of the society exactly. right the weakest link and that, that, that was one of the things i was going to say yeah, yeah you must yeah take of, course, the lowest. of course and and they act as such as yeah, well right they act as such yeah the well the mother literally just independently of any handicap just forgot that her son got taken away so she must have been like intellectually deficient to, to an extreme and the father sort of remembered, but always the noise coming back and disrupting his thoughts. And eventually, I mean, he, he just stopped thinking about it. And on the TV, their uh, watching of the ballerina is interrupted by Harrison Bergeron, their son. Why do you say Harrison? It's Harrison. Harrison Bergeron <laughs> interrupting the, the ballerina program and bursting onto to that scene. And he starts talking to the TV. He rips off his handicaps. He dances with a ballerina and it's really like an incredible hulk scene it's not you know it's not a super super genius at seven feet tall that escape he really rips it off uh rips the handicaps off everyone seems scared you you could almost imagine him like uh you know groaning like a beast and it wouldn't change anything to the scene right like he really seems like a monster and don't didn't she get that feeling now what what feeling exactly like what the, the the feeling that he he really acts like like a conqueror like genghis khan who just dropped off in a small village and he's like okay i'm the boss now right being now, in that story you're sort of 
of course against the government and against yeah. all these rules but then he's also like he's also seems pretty evil you know but, he, he didn't seem evil but that's i think i i think the, the imagery was masterfully manipulated to make you feel the thing that the citizens would feel right, right? like yeah, all these yeah. 80 iq people they meet this 130 iq seven foot tall person you would be scared you would think oh my god is he gonna attack us but then the way he treats the ballerinas sure it's like uh one would say toxic masculinity type where he's like who wants to be my queen take off your handicaps and come with me like you know a little bit genghis Khani. yeah yeah but ultimately he doesn't hurt anyone he just said and then you know tells the singers like yo take these off and actually play some music for me yeah yeah, yeah. well you get a I I was going to say, you get the taste that he's evil in the sense that he's not acting morally uh, as we would expect now, but having gone through what he's gone through, where would he, where would he have gotten the idea that, like, what I would have wanted him to do is say, okay, let's start a revolution. I can do this independently. We'll uh, build democracy. Like, let's take off our handicaps and slowly, everyone's below average. Let's take off everyone's handicaps. The people that still have handicaps can't defeat us because we're stronger and we're smarter let's slowly just build back up but i mean he's been handicapped like that from from his birth so uh i guess it's understandable what he did but yeah it's it's a, it's a natural response and it does seem like uh you know the f i like to say this i don't know why the final actually because of attack on titan but the final groan of a like dying beast right it's almost like he knows the the handicapper general by the way funny Handicapper General is the the kind of bureau, and it's a with a woman sitting at its at its head, and essentially she's like in charge of all these handicaps. It's funny that she goes there herself. Yeah, like, the cases must be so rare of people breaking out that she can like the the boss of everything can just go herself oh, on the scene. If somebody was going to be the problem, it was going to be Harrison. But yeah, essentially, it feels like he he's getting his you know, 11 seconds of glory on TV. Mm -hmm. And he knows, it's almost like he knows what's coming, right? He's like doing all the last pitch, last ditch. pitch or ditch, ditch efforts to just put, like, put that in the if, if you, yeah, if, if you had 20 seconds left to your life, that's probably what you would do. You'd be like, all right, the most beautiful woman, woman, take off your handicap and come with me. Musicians, take off all your ha handicaps and play music for me. We're going to dance. Like, he starts dancing as the most wanted man in that village, right? Well, I say village, it's probably city or city, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, and he, he sort of teaches them how to play their instruments, right? He, like, directs <laughs> them. Because they, yeah. they start playing, and then he, he goes and takes off all, all their handicaps, and at the beginning it's shaky, but then he teaches them how to do it, and, and they do it. So they must be horrible. Yeah. But then... When like when they go through the phase of taking all the handicaps, and then getting taught how to play, it seems as though according to the description, it's actually good. Yeah, right? it's better. I mean, at least it's better. And but you you must imagine that, as we said, when you when you have to adjust so that everyone is equal, inevitably you have to take the lowest person if you can't enhance people abil people's abilities, the lowest person, and get everyone back intellectually and physically to the lowest person. Yeah. Yeah, so it, was, it would be an orchestra of me playing the violin. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to imagine that. And, and then when Harrison Bergeron teaches them, it's an orchestra of me playing the violin, which is still really bad, but like better. That's 
Probably. How, how, why would you be better though? I don't get it. Yeah, let's say piano. Okay, that's that's fair because okay. you've done it. Sure, I mean, sure. Why would you be better at the violin than me? Musical intuition. But oh, okay, okay. You know what? That's fair. That's like, fair. Like I can hear when a note is wrong. You can't hear it all. Fair, but, but then like you wouldn't know how to the... adjust for it. Yeah, exactly. Or you wouldn't even know how to no, correct no, it. <clears throat> okay, is that it? Okay, and then obviously HQ, well, handicapper general arrives she's got a shotgun harrison dies yeah now man the way it ends is just heartbreaking really like i i put this in my notes mm -hmm. it's it's a seven page story but it was genuinely hard to read for me because i had empathy and i'm gonna get to why that is later but you should re really like say why you have empathy because this is really weird yeah i know it's just, yeah it's a doozy and uh at the end they watch the scene on the TV of their son dying, right? The dad starts crying, blah, blah, blah. Then this noise, shriek or whatever, interrupts his thoughts. He forgets it, forgets everything he just saw, but he still has this like physio physiological feeling of, okay, I, I was just sad, right? I was just crying about something. What, what was it? And then the, he asks the mom, I'm guessing, or the opposite, whatever. And... Uh, she says, I don't know. I don't remember. So we were watching something sad on the TV. Mm -hmm. And then, again, I forgot who says it, but I think the mom does. I could tell this one was a doozy. Like, she has this, you know, this feeling that something bad just happened and everything indicates it. She has an intuition that on the TV something was sad. She sees the husband crying, but both don't know why. And then they kind of just get over it. And this one was a doozy, is then repeated. She could tell. Um, that's pretty much it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, all right, let's, let's get straight to the cancelable material. When, at the beginning, when they start watching the TV, the story of Harrison Bergeron escaping is said by an, an announcer. Now, the way it's described and the, the way the mom empathizes is so funny and it's, it's, it's a perfect example of what a satire is. Now that I think about it, if you want to get into 19... Uh, no, 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 sorry. Into Animal Farm, right? As a kid, like, I don't know, 16-year-old. When you're 15, you should be introduced to this as a prototypical satire mm. because it really takes elements of real life and it just exaggerates them masterfully and you know the the the, the mother empathizes with the teleprompter guy right is, is that a thing no a teleprompter is the things that they read right yeah the, uh, I mean, the, announcer yeah tv announcer yeah and uh, i think the the dad is thinking about this so he, he sees the announcer go on and as all announcers he has a speech impediment obviously and then so he tries to make something out he's like uh, Harrison, uh, Bert, uh, and then whatever, he can't say it. So he passes off the script to the ballerina. Mm. So she reads the, the yeah, script, yeah, yeah. and then the mom says, well, it's fine. He tried his best. Yeah, Can yeah. you really ask more of him? Right. And you're like, okay, first of all, it's extremely funny because obviously if someone were to empathize with such a situation, such a ridiculous situation, it would be a woman. And the, the second thing is, it takes the... He tried his best and kind of shows it when we say it in situations where it's really not that apl applicable. applicable, And it actually relates a little bit to the second part of our conversation. 
Because in goal setting, which Succeed is mainly about, when you set a non-specific goal for yourself, you can always, at any point, so I want to get healthier, right? I wake up, I eat an apple, whatever happens for the rest of the day, I can say good enough, right? You, if you don't have a specific goal set, you can always say, eh, I did something towards it, right? That that's yeah, yeah. counts for something. And if I were to judge situations where we use good enough and we shouldn't, it would be that kind of thing, right? Like a teleprompter passing off his script of the ballerina. Well, okay, again, this is satirical, but in real life, it still happens where someone's someone should be doing something like they should, and they don't. And then some people just empathize for the sake of empathy. Yeah, but what is happening? I feel like good and like oh, that was good enough. Doesn't happen that often in my life. Like what? Again, I think I'm thinking about me like largely intuitions, but I feel like you could imagine such a situation or on the TV, people defending some failure that shouldn't have happened. The okay, the the thing I I would think of first when you say good enough is about kids and for kids it's often appropriate to say that's good enough because their abilities are limited and if they're trying their right. best then they develop and that's good i'm really thinking about twitter wars where a celebrity does something bad and people you know empathize for the sake of you know virtue signaling when instead it's like no guys he he, he shouldn't have done that mm. right and uh so this this announcer story made me think about fat models mm. Where it's like, you know, we, well, I don't know if you, if you see the parallel, you see it, right? Like, okay, this person's job will be to announce things. Therefore, maybe let's not get a speech impediment. It's the same thing. Like, this is a display of beauty. And I mean, idealistically health, but idealistically, I guess, but it's not, it's not the same thing in the sense that the, the model we're trying to redefine what beauty is. Well, people are trying to redefine what beauty is, yeah. right? They're not saying in the story, they're not saying that tele that uh, TV announcer is good. Right? No, but good enough and trying his best. And that's what happens, right? Like, no, but for the models they're they're saying, this is the new standard of beauty. This is what is, this is what is good. I know, but the, it's funny. And look, let's go back to the Dave quote. Truth is matter than fiction. Right. And, Look, I, I mean, I thought about this quote because my epistemology prof was saying about uh, talking about how often in stories they have to tone down the craziness people get up to because if if you fully reported what happens in reality with people and how rationally they act, people would say you're a bad writer because there's no way. Mm. So again, like obviously. You have to think about kind of extreme examples, but people act, you know, irrationally all the time. And what I'm saying is, it almost seems like reality is now a satire of Harrison Bergeron if we're talking about fat models, because it's not just, hey, you know, we all come in different sh shapes and sizes. Like that argument could potentially even be made, right? We come in all different shapes and sizes. Everyone's uh, struggles are different. Let's try to say, Okay, these standards of beauty are good enough. Like, you know, when uh, they did the thing where the whole, I don't know, eight pack with men was going around and men's standards, blah, blah, blah. And then they introduced dad bods like, 
hey, this is the average man's body, this is good enough, right? And you're thinking about that, like, okay, he drinks beers on the weekends, he tries to work out, but uh, only can play football with his buddies twice a week, like, whatever. Now, it's 300-pound models, and they're throwing it in your face and saying, okay, this is beauty now. So it almost seems like that's the satire of Harrison Bergeron, is what I'm saying. Like Harrison. Yeah, I said it because I was infected. <laughs> that's a uh, goal. What is it? Not infection, but... Uh, mm. What do you call it? Contagion. Yeah, goal contagion. So, we, the, yeah, we, we go from, okay, let's try to act perfectly, which, you know, if you had to think about the 1960s and the dad just wearing a suit and tie and coming back home and... Uh, telling his kids not to start eating before uh, they can pray and then elbows off the table, like all these respect things, like, okay, if you take that perfection, then it kind of starts devolving, probably social media, but whatever. And you see the this Harrison Bergeron just taking it to the extreme, like, hey, imagine if teleprompters or whoever these guys are had a speech impediment and we normalized it and everyone said it was good enough. And now you take the opposite, the opposite you take. And this is the new ideal of teleprompters. Because everyone has different understanding abilities, we're going to take the dumbest guy to explain it, and it's going to be so simple that you can't miss it. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, just throughout the whole story, the... It's just the, the human element. It, there's such beauty in human difference, and different people excelling in different things, and also just some people being way above average. Like, that's so beautiful and so impressive that to take that away for some ideal of everyone feeling worthy, I don't know, it's just, it's just, not, it's just not how it works. It would be a, a horrible situation, as is explained in the story. Like, do I feel... Well, as is depicted by the story, right? Because if it were explained... Mm. It it has to have I some sub subtlety. And you remember when the dad was really, really tired and the wife suggested, do you want to take off a little bit of your whatever sack, handicap sack? And the dad was like, well, if everyone went and did that, we, we'd all go back to the horrible thing the where ages. there's, yeah, the dark ages yeah, where yeah. they were. So it's important to know that they were brainwashed and for them it is a utopia, even though the dad is like screaming, well, in pain every 15 seconds because he's too smart. I can definitely imagine how like the, the dad got indoctrinated in that and it seems like a worthwhile ideal to, to, to strive for sort of un until you like think about it uh, a little bit but if you were indoctrinated to it from birth and you ha have no exposition to any other idea and if you they're not given the, the IQ uh, space to, to have those thoughts then it's definitely hard but I was gonna say like do I feel bad that I'm not as good at soccer as Messi like a little bit but the, the truth is first of all the part that's unfair is the talent like he certainly had more talent than me independently of any hard work and second he put in more work he deserves what he has and the skill he has and the the money he gets, well, that's debatable to what extent they deserve the money, but... I mean, they bring in that money more, in yeah. entertainment, even more for FIFA, and then they get paid that, I mean. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying the amount. Like, 
sports. Well, if you're that exceptional and people around the world know your name, at if, some point, yeah. Yeah, if, mm-hmm. if there's one person I, I think deserves the money, it's Messi. I'm not going to trash talk it. Anyway, that, and, and I think that's the most beautiful thing, right? The fact that, I mean, not really. What I'm about to say, you can definitely debate it, but the only thing that separates you from them in a hypothetical sense, is the effort. And what I mean by that is that until you've put a, put in the same hours of work as Messi, you don't even know if you could be the next Messi. That's the reality of it. Right? And I don't really have a claim to the... Un, I don't have a claim to the unfairness claim. Like, I can't say no. it's unfair. Exactly. Because factually, yeah. by the time he was 20 as I am, he had put in much, much more work than I have in, in soccer. And so... Exactly. Like, you can say... Oh, he got lucky because of this, this, this. But I think if people are honest with themselves, if you had put in as many hours as Kobe did in basketball, okay, maybe you wouldn't be Kobe, but maybe you would. You don't know. Yeah. That's the point. And you would definitely be very good. Exactly. And um, there, there's this uh, figure in, 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 in a specific video game. I'm not going to name names, but essentially a video game I had interest in. And he, he was averaging like 10 times the views of others. His uh, popularity was spreading across video games. In the gaming world, he was the, you know, the faker of League of Legends, whoever knows uh, what that means. I hope you don't. I really hope you don't. And when I, he had a public profile on the game engine that, I'm really trying to explain in like universal terms <laughs> Censoring it. on on the on the ga- gaming engine that he played the game, and he was 20 years old, and I went and saw his hours that he had on the game, and divided it by the number of days that were between when he was 20, the present, and when he was 15. And essentially, he was averaging seven hours a day from the day he was 15 to the present. Yeah. Seven hours a day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when people, you know, were watching him play these video games, everyone was saying like, oh, he has inhuman reactions, his, you know, uh, micro adjustments, whatever, technical terms are incredible. But the guy essentially forged this. Mm-hmm. And I could literally be that if I, well, again, hypothetically. So it's not like, you know, the element of hard work isn't necessarily exploited in this story. Harrison Bergeron is just like this beast of a man that grew up to be seven feet tall and didn't like outgrew his handicaps. At the same time, it's the, it's the, the perfect example of progressive overload. Yeah. Like they're <laughs> training him. Oh, right. The handicaps themselves are making him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's in a growth stage. So you would expect it him to adapt rapidly Uh, unless you have something to say i'm going to get to my big point okay and it's that i have empathy for them and i i I ask myself why is that like in seven pages i'm thinking about this dad getting distracted and trying to empathize with his son but just literally being immune to sadness because of these distractions and smart people being hurt by society you know and I realized that it's because I saw so many parallels with real life that I empathize with them. Mm-hmm. First of all, our discussion of school was two episodes ago. Mm. 
that's what kind of they do to gen- genius children, right? You put them in a class with people who are average, and you make them lose their their thing. Yeah, but it's not. Uh, go- it's government mandated, sort of. It's not government enforced. You can well, well, get tested by a uh, like a sure. a psychologist or a psychiatrist and get. I don't know the genius mark, and then get put in a grade grade above, or sure. do yeah. Sure, but again, if you're indoctrinated into that from the very beginning and you have the potential, then you'll never have the chance to even get ahead if you're always put with the average. Yeah, you right? have so, a chance if you no take the step. If you mean right, if but you're what indoctrinated I'm saying, from the start, you won't get a chance. Yeah, well, what I'm saying is the design of the environment here is very important because as children we're talking about. Right, like you and I can say, you know, if I wanted to become the next Messi, I could just take a ball and kind of, I don't know, sacrifice half of my sleeping hours and whatever, right? I could I could design these things, but if you're putting children into an environment that is godless in, in the Neil Postman sense, I don't know why I say postman, but <laughs> um then what you're gonna get as a person with no drive who even with the potential to become a genius is always just gonna do just enough to do the average. Now, am I referring to myself in high school? No, obviously not. I'm not a genius. But yeah. <laughs> so, wait, what, what, are you, what are you saying with the, if we wanted to become messy, you could take a ball and sacrifice half your sleeping hours? What's no, what, what I'm saying is just, you said it's not government kind of enforced. mandated, right? Enforced. But it's government designed in the sense that no one's going to go and pick you out and say, look, you're above average. Like, all the profs are, are going to do is see, okay, this guy's getting 95%. I cannot worry about him and try to worry about the lower people. Yeah, now, but don't you think, like, the, the the thing there, it's enforced in the true sense of the word. But I think all people are trying to do is do their best. Like, it goes from... oh. Hundred percent is why I'm saying that it's designed this way. You know, we were talking about this, why some teachers suck, and it's because no one wants to teach because it's not paid enough and it's a horrible job, and they just take some people. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, the government is trying to do their best. Then a a low a level lower, whatever board of school board is trying to do their best. That was a you moment. Uh, then a level lower, the teachers are trying to do their best or not. You know, and. And it's just like the addition of, I don't know, humans being a little bit lazy. Because it, it could happen at any level. It could happen at the teacher level where the teacher sees, oh, this person is getting like really good grades in my class. I should, like, I should watch out. It, it would be, I don't know, depriving society of something. They have the influence to put that person on a different life path if they just say to, I don't know, the school psychologist, oh, you should test him for like genius IQ level or at least we should talk to him about uh, about skipping a grade because he could go faster so why so you are agreeing with me partially and all I'm saying right. is and it's it's almost like well it's not almost it's as if the satire satire did its job right what I'm saying is if you take the hundred percent as being the Harrison Bergeron story okay what is happening right now is 10 or 15. But it's still a problem, and now we've seen it, and it's been highlighted by the fact that it's been exaggerated here. I mean, sure, it, it, it's a it's a problem that. But what's the problem? You're saying like this sure, is the way it's designed. Yeah, but whatever. you're saying, I'm saying a teacher could just pick you out and say, "Look, this person's smart. We should 
this is possible in our society. The mm-hmm. fact that it's not done is the fault of the teachers, sort of, but at the same time, they have a class of 30, blah, blah, blah. Again, um, my focus is not on a teacher, and I don't want to get conspiracy theory on you and say uh, it's the government and whatnot, but again, there are faults at each level. We can agree on that. Sure. And the weakest version of that is just personal laziness and, you know, going through the motions, right? Like, the teachers, ultimately, all they have to prepare you for is the government exams. Otherwise, no one's going to notice that they're doing their job badly. As long as they do that, it doesn't matter if they're a horrible teacher, mm-hmm. right? So, the the most optimistic version of that is to say that these people, just as any other field, some people are going through the motions and doing their job, you know, lazily. And that's that's the optimist version. So, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> now, the other thing is the parallel between the sounds playing in the dad's head. Mm. And short form content, mm-hmm. right? Now I thought about this with the music playing constantly in your ear and podcasts and TikTok and whatnot. These sounds that are playing, like it's almost like people are putting on the handicap sacks. Exactly. And I was gonna say, like it's even worse because it's not the government mandate. Truth is matter than fiction, and it is. It genuinely is. is. And um, for those wondering, he's saying matter d d e r, not matter. Right. Right. And uh, my last note here is forget sad things. And it's because by the end, I don't know if it's said explicitly, but essentially what happens is their son dies on the TV and they just get over it in 20 seconds because the mom is too dumb and the dad is having these police uh, sirens play in his head, right? And what you realize is that to a lesser extent, of course, that's what happens. You just, ah, whatever, turns to TikTok. And my motivation prof, which is, the book that we we read for this time is an assignment of that class. He was talking about how pattern interrupts are so addictive and have this induce this orientation reflex where as soon as a scene changes in a movie, you're kind of conditioned to pay attention to it. Like, okay, what's going to happen next? Because evolutionarily, if there's something shaking in the bushes, it's either a leopard that's going to eat you or a potential for collaboration with a person. So it's very important. Or a bunny. Or a, a bunny for, yeah, right, right, to eat. So evolutionarily, we're conditioned. Well, so TV exploits that, short form, short form exploits that. And he said this example, and it struck me. If, if you were watching TV and someone just told you that, you know, came up, told you that their cat died. When the scene changes in your peripheral vision, you you could imagine that you would just turn to the TV, wouldn't you? Like I can when he said that, I I just instantly imagined it of like someone someone giving me horrible stories, and I'm involved, and there's this like cliffhanger by the end of the episode, and I have I really have to just see the scene, and I turn to the TV, and when you think about the humanity of such an act, the rain none. Yeah, yeah, but the, I was thinking like, what what are the long term consequences of specifically? forgetting sad things right because in the story they see their son dying and then they they instantly forget it yeah i think the long-term consequences i mean in some way are less bad for them because i think they see it briefly it's like in their perceptual memory Mm. but then they don't it doesn't really get encoded into their brain and they just instantly forget it and it's that their whole life and it's never going to stop so there's no like it gets into your unconscious you just feel horrible all the time 
they just don't get anything. For us, people, you know, go through sad things. And then, I mean, it's horrible how teenagers and young adults, the advice, I feel like the advice you get when, like, someone just broke up with, with their boyfriend or their girlfriend of many years is like, go party, go forget it. Instantly, right? That's 100%. the reaction. 100%. Distract yourself, right? But for us... Don't internalize it. It's, it doesn't work like in the story. It's not like we're going to actually forget it. Like, yeah. never have it in our brain. Oh, yeah. It's there in our brain. We feel horrible about it. We put layers on top of it. We put layers on top of it. And then it's Freud-style in your unconscious will come up oh, yeah, at yeah. some point. 100%. When, when your phone dies and you're, you have to walk home for 30 minutes... It's you're, it's the frozen mammoth you're gonna discover in ten minutes, uh, in ten years or whatever, uh, like within the iceberg, buried deep in your unconscious. And one hundred percent. And you asked what what is the what are the long term consequences of forgetting sad things? And it's a loss of humanity and apathy. And as you can see, right with the, the modern youth, we were talking about the what's the new generation Gen Z, uh, after that Gen Y, Gen Alpha, many Generation Alpha, whatever. You know how. With the loss of religion and family values, whatever. There's just a loss of humanity where these kids are experiencing um, their loss of childhood earlier and earlier. Right? And we, we see this, like, these 15-year-olds, we've interacted them at uh, summer camp and whatnot. They just know things they absolutely shouldn't. And obviously, internet, blah, blah, blah. And... The dark, the dark humor levels they've gotten to already, yeah, is so far. And to you and I, we understand that dark humor is funny because of how horrible it is. For them, it's just not horrible. Mm. That's the thing. Like, you know, TikTok, uh, TikTok have. I'm probably gonna blur this, but like, TikTok had uh, these videos going around with, like, with, um around like terrorist uh, attack times and people were you know it's the you're riding in a bus and there's the accident on the side of the road and you just can't look away because you want to see the horrible thing you want to see I it feel like young people meme it also like they're inevitably they're, they're gonna in the sense that like they're gonna make jokes about it but it's they i don't they realize it's real but i don't i don't think they realize it's real and it's the the no, joke realize- that comes no, no, you no. See what I'm saying? Like they no, realize re- it's real. Yeah, but real, they, yes, but how just, horrible it is they yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. Because they've never experienced it, right? They they've lived in this like cell phone life and a virtual reality. Yeah. Like Neil said, what does it mean to lose interest in reality? What does it mean to gain love for a virtual reality? And that's what it means. You yeah. lose humanity because when you live within this world, you don't lose your humanity. And uh this is where the joke of too soon came up right horrible things happen uh, horrible things happen a horrible thing happens and then the day after people are trying to get their popularity by being the first one to post about it and make a funny joke about it that's that's the competition like at this point there's the the war between the people trying to get on the hype train of uh, being the first person to see something funny and then to ver- the on the other side, it's to virtue signal that uh, it's actually really horrible, and you support the victims and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like it's devolved into these two camps, and none of them are human. <laughs> it's, right. it's genuinely yeah, yeah. crazy. So like no one just has well, people do, but we don't hear them. But less and less people have just a moment of silence for 
the loss of the families. Yeah, like a personal non-virtue signaling genuine sadness for life. And by the way, you said that, and that's that's a cognitive bias that really manipulates us, right? And it's because the vocal minorities that absolutely suck and lo have lost their humanity, they're going to be the ones blowing up on Twitter, right? The people who s had the reaction you said, they're all invisible. Yeah. You, you know that, right? So... Yeah, but I corrected myself. I said, okay. Yeah, yeah. So again, the world may not even be as bad as I'm imagining it just because of that cognitive bias that is infused in me. So. Yeah, I, I think about this sometimes. If the right thing. I don't. I usually scroll on TikTok. I don't tend to think, but yeah. It's good for you. <laughs> Get over it. I'm not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm never sad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The. What was I going to say? Yeah, I think about this sometimes. If. Sometimes, as we've established now, the right thing to do is just to say nothing and to, to just feel the empathy you have for victims of horrible situations. If the right thing to do is to just say nothing, remain silent, and not post, then all the people that remain, I don't know, in the public eye and all that we see always is the other people, I guess the two camps, Often, too often on this side it's virtue signaling and not actually people feeling bad on and on the other side it's instantly making jokes and feeling like re really being insensitive about it if that's all people are exposed to that's the basis of i don't want to make claims about sociology and how the world is going to evolve but the basis of the, the basis of how what future generations see unless you're in the family of someone who stays silent all you see is those two sides so you're probably going to be on one of those two sides 100 and if if we go back to the these you know the experiment where they put four uh, four monkeys in a cage right at the top of a tower is a banana and whenever a monkey start well whenever monkeys start climbing up they make a horrible sound and start spraying really cold water on them to discourage them from getting that banana right then they remove one monkey and put a new monkey in when that new monkey comes comes up for the banana uh, the other monkeys beat it up so it, they don't get the cold water treatment mm. right and eventually you replace monkeys you replace monkeys and everyone learns to pull down the monkey but the water sprays stop uh-huh right and that's how you condition a society right uh -huh. the, the bad signals doesn't even have to be there so if you take i hope i hope that was clear so if you take the humanity of the let's say 80s right and we grow up with this humanity just let me let me finish the point if you take the humanity of the 80s we don't know what the 80s were like and we grew up with it we didn't well our parents had that humanity and transferred it onto us but whatever well you'll see my point and it yeah, doesn't yeah. have to be age specific well it will be but whatever <laughs> and you grow, grow up with that humanity and you see people cracking jokes with your internal representation of what grief is you understand that the jokes are a coping mechanism and are only a way to or dark humor right are only way to to take this horrible aspect of life and turn it and show it as we can deal with it right we can it's a good good coping mechanism right but Okay, horrible things start increasing, humanity starts decreasing, and these kids start growing up, 
and their internal representation of grief is essentially these memes, right? Because the media they're scrolling on mm. isn't really showing the real grief that you described. Like humans had um, between themselves, you know, you see a person in your village walking in full black clothing, you know what's going on, you comfort them, you say, I'm sorry for whatever. I'm sorry that he died at the old ripe age of 48. Uh, at least it was of natural causes. Yeah, it was, it was of natural causes, uh, scurvy. And so, nah, that's the 60s, you know? And uh, if only they, they, they grew up with this, like, social media. Obviously, that's, I guess, I've identified it as the main problem because that's where the humor happens. And you grow up, and grief is associated with humor. Grief is humor. Grief is humor. Then isn't every horrible thing just, as an internal representation, just funny now? I see. I, I'm not sure about the humor part because w- what's the difference then? Well, the difference is having lived, having actually lived through something hard, or being taught what grief is or something hard is by people who have lived it. And that's all I'm saying. Like that kind of stopped at some point in the 2000s. Yeah. What I can see also is, well, no, never mind. Yeah, I. The humor has to be on the basis that we all still agree that it's really horrible. And uh, with some recent events, right, even the submarine and whatnot, you saw how it happened, right? But you would be the type of person that jokes right the day after. Yeah, but my my best defense mechanism against everything is humor, so. And it's uh, it's also quite important that I don't, right? I'd be the type of person, sure, but I'm not out there posting and trying to get fame of oh, horrible posting, people. No. But making these jokes to you, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Well, like, what's the line? Is it just social fair, media? Fair. Whatever. But but do you see... Okay, so this was part of my larger point that I empathize when I was reading and I was asking myself, well, these characters have been described in a few paragraphs. How How do I care about them? How do I genuinely feel pain for what the father is experiencing? And it's because of all these parallels with real life right now. Because this is, I mean, I'm guessing it's an older story. So that's all. Yeah. I that's see. all for me. It's all she wrote. It's all the monkey said. Trying to make a new thing. It's, it's... Sometimes it's also great writing. I feel like a lot more mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of people don't get to experience things as horrible or things that are horrible as often as they did back in the day where, when, I don't know, medicine was worse, poverty was worse, stuff like that. People, a lot of people in, uh, hmm. in the West, I guess I would say just some people don't get to experience any horrible stuff at all. So all they get ever is, is just exposure to the internet and these jokes, but great writing if you if you hear the stories of your parents as you said like someone telling you mm. or even just in a book if you we still all have that reflex it's there it's down there somewhere right you you can elicit that with great writing or with something particularly personal if you get told a story about your family something someone in your family lived through it hits you for sure yeah and that's um i'm guessing it's the natural empathy that is still like in our genes and that can't necessarily be fully corrupted by uh, teaching but 
Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy. I was. I was reading a case study the other day in my psychopathology class. We're seeing different disorders, and I was reading about a guy that had panic disorder. I don't. I don't know if these stories are real or not, but a guy that had panic disorder and how it like affected his life, how it made it significantly worse, and then how he went through treatment and how it improved his life. And I was like, I had a tear in my eye because humanity. I don't know, just mm. knowing that a person can go through that. Interesting. In the last uh, couple of months, I've actually felt a few emotions and progress. I yeah, and I've realized that it's mostly it's mostly about things that are very very close to me. Uh huh. It's not it, like for the anxiety disorder. I just I don't think I would care genuinely. I I heard um, David Goggins on a podcast with Andrew Huberman, pretty recent one. And he was describing how um, he he was revising his paramedic things with his wife, and he was you know diagnosed ADHD and whatnot. And he was like reading a, a page three times over, and while he was telling it to his wife, so that she helps him revise it, the vi- the wife had already memorized it, and he was in the paramedic thing like yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he and he was saying that, and I was in the car, I was playing the podcast, and you had to play it back three times just to understand this exactly exactly <laughs> no but i genuinely felt a tear coming up yeah, yeah because yeah. he was saying it with, with obviously as he does with an emotion yeah, yeah and he was saying nothing in my life is easy i had to go over these pages three times man and i i memorize it uh, like i i can't make these associations easily i i have to read over the name of the medicine 20 times and then what it does and the quantities like I go over these pages 20 times and she just hears it, uh, hears me t- talking about it. So she helps me study with it and she already knows them. Mm-hmm. And dude, like, yeah, I mean, the struggles, right? I-, I felt it. So, and that's kind of the the only way to touch me. Like if, if you know. Well, that's rough. Maybe you're, you're a product of the 100%. evolution of society. It's very, you, it's you very possible. It's very but possible. it's also partly personality because we had more or less the same upbringing, but I just... Yeah. Yeah. And again, the ultimate thing is also if we do trust Aristotle, I am defined by my actions. And ultimately, when someone, when I can see that someone has experienced something bad, I'm still going to act in ways that are empathetic. It's just I'm not going to cry about it afterwards. And that's what would have potentially made me a good psychologist. Uh, having that reflex. Yeah. That apathy, but also a good direction a good um, desire to help out people but the absolute apathy towards their problems unless they're mine as well <laughs> okay yeah. in any case you yeah, know. yeah okay we can try to make the uh, this short because it's much more concrete we're already 50, 50 minutes 50. now have we ever ex- extracted this much information out of seven pages maybe oh, with the uh, neil shubababu shubababu <laughs> <laughs> the um, imaginary girl guy we'll look it up after but it's pretty close maybe no i don't think it was as long as this i just think that i mean you it felt it felt longer maybe it's because it's philosophy and it's not a story maybe but this story was so short and i don't know man just you just bring up some old classics and you're like there's no way this exists and i've never read it and it's just like chilling right right yeah that's exactly how it fell in my mind but i had read it i have slaughterhouse five yeah yeah. which is also same guy yeah, yeah I'm going to reread it because I, I think I read it in like middle school. And he's good, right? 
He, I mean, he like I don't know how that, he that would... writing was good. I'm gonna reread Slaughterhouse Five because I don't I don't remember anything. Uh, okay, okay. All right, well, the second sec, the second ten minute segment, hopefully, is gonna be about a book called Success, and I think you are better better suited to introduce this. Yeah, it's just a psychologist doing one of those psychology reviews that make it available for the masses, and uh, there are three parts of the book. There's get ready. Get set, no. Get set, go, ready, now. Go is probably at the end. Go is the third se segment. Not a, no, no, book. Ready, so, steady, go. Ready, steady, go. And uh, <laughs> this first is kind of ready, and it's about preparing for your goals in a way that you can succeed. Now, everything that is supported by these psychological studies and replicated and whatnot, it really feels... Even I didn't really like it. It really feels like if you input a chapter of William James made the writing less interesting. <laughs> An input a chapter of William James's uh, you know, goal setting into ChatGPT said reduce the writing to a modern um, writing style and then support everything that has been confirmed by studies with studies. Right, so it's an overview of a goal setting, how to get prepared so you can actually <clears throat> reach your goals. And, um, but again, boring, not boring. I you read about boring. it. No, no, I don't think it's necessarily boring because it's, it is an important thing for me. And the way she says it makes it very comprehensible indeed. It's, it's, that's what I was going to say. Com compared to James, I think James really, he isn't really hard to understand, but it is old writing, and some sentences are complex, complex, so that you read them like two or three times. This is very easy to read, and it gets the important points still. Yeah. Yeah. Like, James would write, brevity is the soul of wit. And then you reread it like five times, and you think about it, and you churn it in your it, mind. And but, then... but that's also how you internalize things, right? Yeah. When, when you read a psych study... You spit out the knowledge on whatever, the podcast, the exam, and you're like, eh, whatever. When you are the person who came up with the conclusions, right? Like, I say brevity is the soul of wit. And you think, okay, soul of wit. Intelligence. That's okay. actually not that hard to understand, but... Yeah. It's not, but it's a good example, and it's yeah, pretty yeah. beautiful. And you think, right, if I'm able to simplify complex things... And this is also the thing that they told, told me at school, that if I can explain a concept to someone who doesn't understand it, I certainly understand it. Right? Things like that. And... um <clears throat> and that's also the the briefest way you can say that sentence. Yeah, probably. Yeah. W wow. Yeah. I, I didn't see that. It's pretty cool. Okay. So okay. here are a bunch of points for your goal setting goals. And hopefully let's get through this rapidly. Be extremely specific. Again, you can't say good enough if it's a pass or fail. Actually, pass or fail goals are pretty good. I must lose 10 pounds by the end of May. Right? You're either going to succeed or you're going to fail. There's no, well, today I walked for 30 minutes instead of 25. And especially if you know you need to lose 10 pounds, you know by this number of weeks you need to lose this number of pounds. And if you're behind, you know you're behind, you have regular updates. Right, right, checkpoints. Yeah, yeah. big. Uh, make it hard but realistic. So when you make an easy goal... It's just going to be boring, and obviously you're not going to achieve much. You might, it's like, I don't know, playing tennis with someone who's just beginning and you've, you're experienced. Yeah, and, and something 
I guess a little bit counterintuitive, which I've internalized because I've I've said it to myself so much and I've experienced it very very much also. <laughs> Is frequently. Fre- frequently. That's too long a word. I need hmm. to uh she says that oh would you would you expect it like people to be less happy? I can't say sentences. Be Maybe. brief. Maybe you would expect people to be less happy when they have harder tasks, but mm. what studies find huh. is that that's not what happens. But th- at this point, that seems intuitive to me. When mm. when I'm doing easy stuff and not challenging myself, I'm just miserable. So. Right. So the people in the in the study specifically, people had who had the best performance reports at work, were the ones who also thought that their work was challenging, which is really cool. Yeah, but I was talking about happiness, not per- performance reports. Okay. Well, also it boosts happy. performance as well. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool to know. Yeah, hundred percent. So everyone knows this. If you've ever engaged in uh, an important goal for you that was long term and it required required effort, it's inherently rewarding. And it's not even because of the results of the goal, just knowing you've done something hard. Essentially, David Goggins' whole existence. You can get addicted to it. That's the beautiful thing as well. Um. Tailor the why and the what thinking to the type of goal. This is a pretty good good point. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had some personal examples right after I read that. And it made so much sense where I could have made a better decision if I had just thought about that. So the the idea is when the goal is far away. Well, that's a later point. Okay. But mainly, mainly you're it's talking about, about the mechanical, right? Yeah, if it's, if it's complex or not complex. Is it something, is the goal something you'll need to... I don't know, be hands-on and learn methodically and you need to do this this step and then this step and you have to actually think about it. Or is the goal relatively simple and, I don't know, what's the criteria for the why? I'm, I'm struggling to come up with. Yeah, so why is like things you know how to do well but are kind of boring and you lack motivation. So let's say going to your job, right? It's your third year on a job. You just wake up one morning and you're like, am I going to keep going with this? And then you just have to think about the why, right? I am doing this for my children. I must remember why I'm doing this. The purpose, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, and yeah, if something is, you know, hard to learn, a new system, complex, usually you just have to think about the first step, like mechanically. Okay, what is getting an A in this class? What does it entail? Oh, opening up the screen of my laptop and starting to read the first word. I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Right? If, if I could, another example would be if you want to eventually run a marathon let's say you've established the steps it's not it's not that hard let's say you run three times a week okay you you need to remember the why it's it's not like you need to think about every step when you're running and 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 do it you just when you when you have a down and you don't want to run you say why am i doing this and you must have a why i think a lot of people fail if they don't have a why because the steps are pretty simple you know how to do it you just have to do it and you have to remember why you're doing it or if you're learning to play the piano that's for the what the the limiting factor is going to be mechanically like pressing this uh note and then this note and then this note you don't know how to do it your hands are not good at it and so even if you say oh i really really want to do it it's not like you're going to sit down and be a virtuoso and just play the piece perfectly you just have to be in the moment at that time and say look what i'm going to learn today is this one line on my on my music sheet that's fine that's 10 seconds of the piece and i'm going to learn it and you say this and this sequence and you 
put them back to back because you don't know how to do it and you need to explain to yourself step by step how to do it. Yeah. And uh, you can, it always shifts from the what to the why, right? You start a new thing. It seems overwhelming. It's big. It's complex. It's new. There's a barrier between you and it. But ultimately, let's say you are starting soccer for the first time. Ultimately, you just think about the mechanics of it, right? Okay, I need to make it so the ball doesn't fall and I have to dribble it five times. Can I, can I concentrate all my energy on that and do it? Yeah, sure, you can do it. But it's not like learning soccer. It's a big system. And so when you get habituated to something and it becomes easier and easier, the problem becomes kind of motivation, right? Like, yeah. are we really going to do this podcast again this Sunday or whatever? And you remember the why, right. like, right, the greater purpose. Like, yeah, we want to develop our knowledge base, connect with our viewers, and, you know. So it's really, you shift that. And another thing is, when a goal is near, you will always think about think about the mechanics of it, right? If, if I'm telling you, hey, you want to go on a surprise trip tomorrow? Like, you had the weekend plan and whatnot, and I'm telling you, Hey, I have these two tickets. We have to go to Calgary and uh, watch Drake and all that. You'll think about the mechanics, right? You'll be like, it's about feasibility. Yeah, exactly. Feasibility. Like, ah, oh, it would involve this, and I'd have to pack up these things and uh, actually cancel those plans. And the solution to that is mechanical thinking. Is how thinking. You say no. It's it's purpose thinking. It's like if if it's too close and you're denying yourself the experience because of the mechanical problems, you have to think about the why. Like. In a month, I will have thanked myself because I've always loved Drake and I'll have this experience and weekend away. And the opposite is true as well. Like when you accept faraway plans that seem good for the why, because of the why bias, you're not going to think about the mechanics of it. And when he gets to it, you're like, okay, I have to do this and this thing now. Like the mechanics get, you okay, forget so the feasibility. For something close, you think about the how and you think about it too much. Exactly. You're going to have biased thinking towards the house. So whenever you're accepting or denying it, think about, okay, what could be bad that I will accept close in time? Okay, well, what is going to be bad? Something extremely easy, right? Like um, deny yourself this and instead just do a weekend where you do a TV marathon. That's going to be, your bias is going to be how easy it is and the feasibility is very feasible. Think about the why. like. Couldn't you enrich your weekend with something else? The same thing for denying yourself experiences in the near future because of the mechanics. I have to pack up for the trip. It's a surprise trip. But think about in a month from now, are you going to thank yourself for that trip? And the answer is maybe yes, if it's not Drake, right? Same thing for far in the future. You might say yes to a, because of a why bias, you're going to say yes to a big plan or a trip and whatever. When the time comes, uh, the money, the packing up, the canceling plans, it's, that's where the problems begin. Mm -hmm. So again, always tailor your thinking in why or what, depending on what you want to achieve. Consider the value and feasibility. So the value is kind of the why, what is the outcome, why you're doing it, and feasibility is what you said, the mechanics. Mm, think positive, but don't underestimate. So essentially... People who've performed the best and probably were, you know, as a result, had better well-being and whatnot, are the people who thought a goal will be challenging, but believed in their abilities. So these are two separate things. You, you have to think that you have the ability or can develop the ability to be successful, but also 
the limit of positive thinking is not to just think that getting through the challenges will be easy because every major goal that actually has value will actually have difficult challenges. And as long as you are realistic about the challenges, but optimistic about your chances of success in the goal, you're good. Yeah, that, that's, that's I, big. I relate this to, to therapy, like exposure therapy. When hmm. the, what you do in exposure therapy, let's say someone is scared of spiders. I could, it could even be like literally me. Like I'm a, a little bit afraid of spiders. I don't, I don't like them particularly. What I imagine be, they like double their speed. They're walking normally. They double their speed towards you. No, my, it's my over. thing is I always, I, I, I stare at a spider. If it's close to me, I'm like, it can jump. It'll jump. For sure. Yeah. yeah I feel that. But you know, those flying spiders, like we're stop. No, but you know about that, right? What? They just ran. Like you think it's a spider. They walk with six legs and oh. they randomly start flying. But the small ones, they're not. Yeah, yeah. Are, aren't they like ants? Some some ants can. It fly, might be right? an ant. It might be. That's so scary. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Whatever, whatever. So whatever. What you're doing when you're exposing yourself? Let's say, my next for someone who has a spider phobia, the first step of exposure therapy would be think about a spider, and yeah. that would be like a seven out of ten anxiety provoking. Experience. And we just did that. Did you catch that? We just did it. <laughs> and. But for me, it would, I guess, be, like, the first step would be let, let a spider crawl on me, like a harmless spider. And okay, that would you're be, already there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I am, because I can, I can take a spider out onto the street, but I really just don't want to touch it. Mm. Like, let it crawl on me, that would be pretty stressful. What I'm doing is not, like, the, the world is not changing. The spider is, is still there and is still scary. What I'm doing is my ability to overcome my fears and my ability to deal with it is getting improved. And so in the same way, you have to think about success in this way. I, I can do it and it will be hard. And you just get better at dealing with stuff. The For David Goggins, it's not now, like the world isn't changed. Motivation, the nature of motivation isn't changed for him. A subsequent day of running and pulling up and, and weightlifting is still as challenging for him. It's just he has a track record that's how he describes it he has a cookie jar where in his hard moments he can look in the cookie jar and take a cookie out and be like oh in that year i had a surgery and one month later i i i ran a, an ultra marathon hmm. take that like i can do it it's just you get confident in your abilities to overcome the challenges that are undeniably hard yeah, well, yeah, it's it's a track record and it's a, also a cognitive technique that is prescribed to think about past successes. But I think it, the biggest thing is what I call in a blog, the doing muscle. And it's William James's principle that essentially, and there's a study here too. I think when you practice the self-control, which is focusing on a goal and avoiding distractions and difficulties, essentially. So you practice self-control and you did every hard task for a week with your left hand. So open doors, drank, um, brushed your teeth, essentially become a, became a lefty. Well, maybe not for writing because that's impossible, but became a lefty for a week and it took a lot of self-control. I think the result was that essentially these students, I think, had less dishes sitting in the sink. They were doing things more rapidly. In the book? Uh, yeah, yeah, it might be like... I don't I remember have, this at all, actually. I might be further than... Uh, Oh, it may be in the class, but the class is about the book, so it like supplements it, but also gives new information. But essentially, there's a study where they did that, 
And they also did it with another thing. And it was not being lazy in speech. The self-control kind of conditioning was that for a week, they had to answer in full sentences. They, instead of saying yeah and nope, they, they should say yes and no. Like all of these modifications yeah, yeah, of their language. Yeah. And what they said, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. And at the end, and again, it's funny, you said yes, sir, right? But that's, that's the army. That's the whole army. Tighten up, right? Say yes, sir. No, sir. Like you have to tighten up. And that itself is self-control conditioning mm -hmm. that is going to make you up, uh, wake up at 5.30 a.m. and go run. Mm -hmm. These things are going to be easier because your muscle, the stimulus is as hard, but your muscle, your doing muscle, is much stronger and uh, had less dishes in the sink we're doing things more immediately than before and i've noticed this in my life so much like now the things in the washer the the dishes it's all i have the thought i must do this i do it instantly after okay sometimes they lie around whatever but it's much less than before and this is all due to me practicing the doing muscle and actually yeah mm -hmm. Uh, so th they say about mental contrasting, I'm not buying it, I don't really get it, but you think about a challenge that is going to come up, and then you think about the end result, challenge, end result. So you think about a mechanical problem, well not, not necessarily mechanical, but a problem that might come up in your process, and then you think about why you're doing it. And you do this mental contrasting one after the other, and it's supposed to motivate you to, you know, to believe in yourself and that you're going to do it know what is influencing you okay so chapter two is mainly about the again iceberg of the unconscious and the power of the environment essentially you might think you're you know a fully conscious being and uh, everything is your decision and whatnot but you should imagine yourself as a complete like animal an automaton a hairless monkey that the environment is interacting with your subconscious it's guiding like 80 percent of your actions and then the conscious part is kind of just chilling out there and being like, yeah, I'm taking decisions. I'm making decisions. Woo. Right. Like, okay, I'm exaggerating. And obviously David Goggins, maybe his conscious mind has absolutely defeated his unconscious or maybe he's, well, not maybe he's certainly set his environment up. So his subconscious works for him. Also over the years, his, his ego, well, his, his conscious mind won over his subconscious. Right. And, slowly like the part of he his didn't like, let the internal thoughts win of uh, the intrusive thoughts he's win. been on tiktok too much uh okay but but essentially it is make your environment work for you right that's what it is yeah yeah and uh i don't know i found it a little bit less interesting but if you think about it, all these little stimuli um are the people who know that you're engaged in a goal and would encourage you in pursuing it or expect a lot of you you can use them as cues to prime yourself for goal success and it's the same thing with these uh with uh, word priming tasks where people who had to do some word puzzles of um some word puzzles with the words like succeed and they were consciously but beyond like under their knowledge so unconsciously <laughs> primed for words like success persevered more on an impossible puzzle or for example when they were told they didn't know cameras were in the room when they were told to stop progressing on a puzzle after two minutes of doing it they, they just kind of continued 
So all these things can work for you as long as you set yourself up for success. And, you know, your network is your net worth, as they say. So again, the people that surround you are very important as well. Like if, uh, if the people around your sources of stress that, you know, don't necessarily encourage you and your goals and you, you keep not succeeding might not be that big of a mystery and you might not blame it all on self-control. You can make your environment work for you. And that's the other thing. Self-control is a lim limited resource and it's exactly like a muscle. It gets exhausted. It gets bigger when you train it regularly. You can, you know, modify the position of the movement to make it easier for you. You can modify a task to, or a goal, mm -hmm. or set up your environment in a way that where gravity works for you rather than against you. All this, these parts of the metaphor work out. So there's this study about people who are really hungry by the way like imagine running a psych study now where you it's imposed that you have they have to come to the lab really hungry like would that even be like ethical. allowed by the ethical ethics committee even such a minimal thing i feel like they wouldn't yeah i don't know and how, how do you even check for that just i get i thought of it like a blood test like hey come in at 12 p.m well or 11 a.m and not don't have eaten the day before or something or the, sorry, not the day before, but in the morning or something. And again, if they're doing intermittent fasting, then whoops. But I'm sure they recorded that. So they come into the lab very hungry. One group is put a, no, they're all put in front of a bowl of radishes and chocolates. <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah. And also in the book, it said, it's really hard to eat raw radishes. I love, like, I love it. That's. That's one of the best legumes. It's it, the texture and the, the, the crunch. And uh, one group had to eat I don't know, three radishes and nothing else. And the other group had to eat three chocolates and nothing else. And after that, on a, again, a task of self-control where you had to do a, an impossible puzzle. So the measure could not be puzzle completion, but instead the perseverance. The people who had eaten the chocolate persevered more, and that just shows that if you had to resist, aka use self-control not to eat the chocolate at a time where you're really hungry, a limited resource. Yeah, you're you're just using up some of the 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 well, uh, the well of self-control can run dry or something like that. That's a quote. Okay, know what is influencing you. Know what you believe about your abilities. Important to believe in yourself. Embrace the potential for change important right people who have fixed theories of abilities and intelligence focus on proving to the world that they're good so they're not going to engage in mm -hmm. hard tasks that might depict them as bad and that makes so much sense that makes a lot of sense but i mean they don't directly say as an adult you can improve your iq yeah she wants yeah she kind of gets that sort of like yeah she replies it what what you can say without a problem, and I don't know why she didn't, is in specific skills in anything, in a job, in yeah, sports, yeah. in an instrument, you can improve a lot. But she focused on IQ, which is a lot due to genetics. Yeah. Which she, she was trying to, like, downplay, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yes, it's, all she said is true about, like, uh, children that have a better environment, that are exposed to whatever, develop better IQ. Because when you're four years old, you don't have the IQ you have at 
I don't know, fully developed, let's say 25. But it's growing up and the environment not limiting you or enhancing your, your whatever. But after that, IQ is relatively stable. And but you can focus fact, on anything else. That, that's like, that doesn't yeah. take away from her point. And in fact, dec- decreasing, right? After like 20 yeah. or something, it just starts decreasing a little bit. And you're right. It was such a small hurdle to get over to just say, yeah, okay, you grow up with, uh, well, you grow up with ni- uh, the potential to have 100 IQ, you're going to get it. After that, use that IQ to get better at soccer yeah, by yeah. practicing it every day. Like, like all the other skills, all the things that matter, I guess. IQ matters, but it's just a way to get, yeah. let's say, a, a way to get things faster. Yeah. All the other things that actually matter that are practical, you can, yeah. you can do them. Through practice. So yeah, again, the children... So just to, to make the link clear, if you think IQ and ability in, in that sense is static, obviously your goal will be to show to everyone that you're on the good side of the equation. Because you can't change it. Yeah, if you can't change it, you must be the smart one. So you're going to focus everything on displaying your smarts. And so you're going to engage in activities that are easy for you and back away from challenges because that's going to be a display that you could fail. And if you have a dynamic vision of ability and IQ, you're going to do... Essentially, well, you can deduce what you're going to do, but also... You're going to do the good stuff. Like, it's the good, the good view stuff. to have. The good stuff. If you want to get better, think, and in fact, believe. know, yeah. know, right? That you can get better at it. That's Still don't know the difference between believe and know. <laughs> we read Stanford Encyclopedia. Um, but it wasn't enough. Embrace potential for change. Set up the right environment. People cues. So even these, like, success posters she says or i actually have values because they're priming you constantly now this is going to be my final thought but i thought about this you know prototypical extremely anxious uh neurotic person who reads these books and just all around them they put these posters of success right their their home screen is i don't know uh, an olympic champion and they when they cut out friends from their lives because they point out real problems that they have they say i have to cut out toxicity right like the the ugliest version of this and maybe i was primed by this as a satire to satirize yeah. this uh idea that you should set up your environment in a way but and kind of her like my hate for her advocating for these success posters because they're priming you for success again look I think you have to be a, quite a well-adjusted person for that to work. But yeah, indeed. You know, if your home screen on your phone is, uh, for example, uh, an environmental cue of the why you're doing your job, and you turn on, you see your girlfriend, and you can get through the rest of your day at the job. Like, you know those... uh construction workers that have the picture of their wife in their wallet and they just like pull it out uh, the break with cemented cemented hands eating their sandwich that the white wife made and they look at the picture and they're like you know i, c- I can put the yeah. hundred next roofing tiles i know people so well i just know people so well really and jobs and people <laughs> use triggers to tap, tap your akasha so essentially okay your unconscious is extremely strong. What interacts with your unconscious isn't your conscious. 
is what you can set up consciously and it's your environment mm -hmm. right so obviously if you're in an environment of distractions and uh avoiding sad sadness through watching short form content you're not gonna go far okay I'm pretty. I'm very satisfied, actually. Yeah, I'm satisfied. I didn't know we could squeeze out Harrison Bergeron for 50 minutes, <laughs> but uh, pretty good. Figured out. One, Again, two, oh, okay. do, go, go, go. One, two, three, ten. Nine, okay. Oh. Okay, I'll go with ten. Dude, I'm always insecure now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always insecure I, now. I usually go lower, but just uh, think about it. It just felt, about it we felt just really did. good. Just think about what we just did. I 100% yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. We squeeze out 50 minutes out of a seven-page uh, story made it insightful and practical i think and this i mean this is too straightforward to mess up so yeah i'll go with that as well so practically the first part is kind of clear right use this satire to see all the ridiculous things in your life and you know to a certain extent if they bother you just as much as they bother me cut them out uh, if you yeah you know satires take eventual results through their exaggeration and just display them for you. So if you think you're going to be an apathetic, distracted, willless person in five years because of your TV habits, stop. That's, that's the first part? Oh, of success. No, no. Okay. No, no. I, the habits. I devolved. I, I devolved. Yeah, okay. But what okay. I mean by TV habits is kind of these short-form content which is displayed in Harrison Bergeron with the sounds that are playing in the head. Okay. And it's distractions. Distractions take away your humanity. Yeah. And then they another do. point is if we think about it through Neil Postman's uh, point of view, the God of absolute equality of outcome taken to its extreme. It's just not it. You see it's evil. Yeah. 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 100%. So yeah, differences are beautiful, but not fat models. And the second part is. I mean, the entire thing is a practical recommendation. Yeah, and, and she makes it explicit, and I think it's And it's gives well examples. It's, it's, well it's good, it's good, it's good. It's good. Everything's good, life is good. Life is good. Forget about the bad things, guys. Forget it. Watch our podcast. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, we've been. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we've been. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Go to thinkingaboros.com for more information. Contact us at thinkingbros at gmail.com if you want to write in. We, I think we still, do we, do we still read every piece of, yeah, we, yeah, we, we read do every we do. piece of feedback is the way, so, yeah, we read every piece of feedback. So uh, I was Chris this week. We'll see you next week. I'm Alex. Bye.